The galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adherent of the Mechanicum, or a brave mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find a home here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. Hey everyone, this is the Remembrancer's Retreat. My name is Jesse. We've got a good show for you guys today. We have a little bit of uh, event planning here in Richmond. We're going to talk about what we've been up to. Jason and a few others have some cool little tidbits from the Black Book and Retribution. And we're also going to talk with Stephen about his award-winning Nova list. Stay tuned, and we're going to talk to David and see what's been going on. What's up, David? Hey, guys. This is, uh, this is Dave here from uh, Richmond 30K Podcast. What I've been up to this week is uh, Robbie and I threw down 5,000K, um, huge game, uh, and one of the most fun games I've played in uh, a really long time. Robbie knows that I've got uh, a Reaver Titan. Actually, I've got a, a couple of Reaver hey. Titans. <laughs> and uh, so we were kicking around this idea for a while. Um, Robbie said, I'm going to throw everything I got uh, at this uh, at this Titan and uh, feel free to bring it. So. We bent the rules a little bit, but uh, uh, I thought it was awesome. Uh, Robbie, you want to get in on this? Oh yeah, man! It was uh, it was a great game. It, it looked one when, when you whenever you put a reaver on the table, and especially in just a frontline game, it's like, wow, what did I just get into? But you know, I lo- I looked at the points and everything looked good. I brought uh, four vanquishers, a Valador tank hunter, and a lightning. So I. I really came to take that Reaver down and it was one of the best games I've ever played. And, you know, I think when it came down to it, uh, there was at the end of regulation, we literally had the same amount of points left on the board and we decided to keep playing it out. And until there was one man standing and there's this lonely uh, scimitar jet bike captain just running around. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. End of regulation being uh, at the end of what? Six turns. So it, it legit went six turns. But then we had, I think uh, I was playing Sons of Horus uh, and I had some jet bikes. I think I had three jet bikes left. Uh, Abaddon was on the table uh, alone. And then Robbie had some some solar ox left. Um, and I, we literally just rolled. We just played it out for, I think, like 18 rounds. Like, I think if you if you would have kept count, it would have. Oh, yeah. went, yeah, it went fast, but it was it was it was epic. No, it was good. Uh, my pride and joy, the lightning, totally tore it up. That game <laughs> comes in from reserves, and by now the reaver, I've already stripped all the the void shields off. Comes in, hits sixes on everything to hit. That's four cracking penetrators, and then a snap firing ras cannon, and I get a six with that. I get all pins, and I get three explode results. So I take a big chunk out of it. Well, I don't take the Reaver down on that, that run. The next turn, through David's turn, he, he puts everything into this lightning. And I'm like, I'm jinking. He's like, are you sure? You'll be snap firing. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to jink. So I weathered the storm of like three uh, Predator squadrons and a whole bunch of other stuff. I survive. I go to snap fire. I hit two sixes with my last two Kraken penetrators and a six on the last cannon. I didn't miss a single shot of that lightning, and I blew up that Reaver. Yeah, it was it was nice. pretty it was pretty epic. Um, the the takeaway I, I want to just uh, put out from from this is 
don't be afraid to put your big toys on the table. Um, I think there's this idea out there that, you know, if you bring a Lord of War, like a Reaver, um, or, or even, you know, even a Warhound, you know, that they, that they're just going to dominate the game and they're going to overpower the game. But when you start getting up in points really above 3000, it, it just becomes a much more dynamic and more balanced game. And I want the takeaway from Robbie and I, our game to be, uh, you know, just bring your big toys, have fun, see how it goes. Cause I think you'll be surprised. I think it'll be a much more balanced game than you think. Oh, it was absolutely fun. I mean, it was so balanced, like throughout the entire thing to the very end of just the points of what was left. So no one can say it was one sided. There was no crushing, crushing victory. And we just went out there and slugged it. it was, surprisingly, it was one of the faster games that I've played in a while. We just got in and took models off the table. Things just kept dying. Yeah, no, totally agree. I think that's the other the, the other great thing about playing some of the the bigger Lords of War units is it's going to make for a much more devastating, much more, um, you know, a, a faster paced game. Uh, and I just, I mean, I had a great time. I hope we get to do it again soon. Oh, we'll do. Nice. Did you get any uh, hobby stuff then as well, David? So um, big reveal here for people that don't know me. I, I actually don't do uh, any hobbying myself. So I, <gasps> I know. Garrison. Yeah, no, I, I, I've got, uh, you know, it's one of the old the old things, right? Time and money, yeah? If you have time, then you usually don't have money. And uh, That's I, typically it, yeah, my man. Luckily uh, for me right now, um, my kids take up all my time, and uh, I've got a little extra cash to spend. So I've been, uh, I've been contracting uh, commissions with some really cool people. So a uh, big shout-out to uh, David Sampson from uh, Black Label Painting. He's uh, right now working on uh, some solar ox for me. It's going to be epic. It's going to be amazing. I don't want to talk too much about it right now, but um, it's probably going to be the list that bring to Nova. Um, Dave's already done a little bit of the solar ox for me. I've posted it, and I think you guys have seen some of it, but we're, we're really flushing out the list. So i um, super excited about that. Nice. Very nice. Uh, all right, let's move on to Jason. What you been up to this week, Jason? What's going on, guys? Uh, nothing as exciting as Dave and Robbie there, but I have been uh, furiously painting some nights for uh, the game Dave and I are putting together in January. Uh, besides a couple of nights from that, I am putting together some miniatures for my Survivors of the Dark Age militia. Uh, essentially, that deal started out for me wanting an excuse to use these badass Dreamforge Eisenkern guys for something. Then paging through the militia list, I've always wanted to try Survivor's list with uh, three up armor saves and a ton of land raiders. More land raiders than you're going to see in an Astartes list. So uh, that's pretty much taken up all of my hobby time. Yeah, that's great. And I've seen your... Um militia and they're coming along really nice so uh, it's going to be nice to see them all on the table man and besides militias are always cool i appreciate that because i essentially just stole that paint scheme from you oh yeah borrowed i'd say borrowed right from your black shields it's yes and it takes me approximately 30 minutes a guy instead of a couple hours i appreciate that yeah no problem that was the uh, whole point of that uh recipe was just to crank out an army quickly uh moving right along then we'll move on to jesse what'd you do this week well as far as hobby has been going i've been painting up my secret santa model it's going to be pretty fun 
getting real excited for the December 9th game down at Battlegrounds for a Christmas event. As far as that, it's been a pretty quiet week for myself, though. Right on. Very nice. You no know games or anything like that? Well, Jesse, we played a game not too long ago, didn't we? That is true. That was actually a week and a half yeah. ago. It was you and me yeah. with your uh, 1,500 points of Dark Angels and Solar Auxilia. Which yeah. Was a, a lot that, of was a, that was a good game, and that, that was... It was a draw. Yeah, it was a draw. Yes, it was a draw. That was, a, that was, was a Oh, that's right. From the uh, Dark Angel rule, I think is what you said, oh, yeah. made it a draw, right? Yeah. yeah. Man, that's a harsh rule, man. That it's... special rule bites me every time, or at least a good amount of times. But no, it was a fantastic game. Seeing Robbie put in all the Solar Exil on the table, and me with just a you know few elite units, I was like, oh boy, it's going to be rough. But I managed to uh, stay on the table, thankfully, and hold enough objectives to uh, hang in there. But sadly, with he had a few more units left and was able to roll enough victory points against me to uh, tie up the game. Oh, it was a great game, though. Oh, it was so good. Nailbiter from beginning to end. Nice. You got to love those ones. We'll move right along then to uh, Jared. What have you been up to in the hobby today? Um, haven't been able to get in a game in in the last couple weeks. Um, I was trying to get the last of my Terminators and the last five ready for uh, the game on the ninth, and then found out I can't come. So I've just been going ham on this uh, Secret Santa gift. We're going to miss you. Yeah, that really sucks, because I know you've been talking about wanting to go to this event for a long time, and you were thinking of a bunch of uh, really cool lists you were sharing with me. So that's really unfortunate. We're not going to get to see any, you know, 5,000 points of Imperial Fist deep striking. Yeah, that was the plan, was to make an all-Terminator list for you, and uh, a deep striking all on turn two, man. It's going to be great. Really good. What? How all on turn two? Uh, Command rhinos and um, the uh, what is a land raider that allows for the reroll? Uh, the Proteus. Yeah, so it would have been two up rerollable. Were you uh, running the hammer strike? Uh, I was going to run Pride of the Legion for Will because I basically just wrote a forty Terminator list. Hammerfall Strike Force does not make Terminators troops. I had to go with Pride. All right, so uh, we'll move right along then to Robbie. Sounds like you've been busy getting some games in, man. Yeah, man, I've been trying to stay stay on. Every time I play a game, I tell myself I have to paint whatever was the 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 best. So it's all been coming along and playing games, working on the Secret Santa. I finally finished it tonight, so I'm super stoked. Now I moved on to extra credit, so I'm trying to really wow my... Well, the person I got. Yeah, not not too much else going on. I did find out that uh, I am a full-on trader. I don't know why I've been toying with the idea of other things lately. So I'm going to make the jump into the word bearers because I am now a true believer. What? what? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. Uh, the only reason I didn't in the beginning was because Steven was so in-depth with them because he was such a prominent player. I felt like, you know, a growing community. We needed to, you know, I need to pick another Legion for now. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah, I've gone full trader. Uh, now that Steven is working on his Night Lords, I felt it was about time. Very well, nice. That'll be awesome to see another Word Bearers player. Uh, I'll have to do some team games again, but this time full Word Bearers. Nice, yeah. And that was Steven, so let's move into Steven. Steven, what have you been up to this week? I, uh, I actually haven't done a whole lot of heresy, uh, per se. Most of my time this week has been sunk completely into Battlefleet Gothic. Austin got me and uh, David to drink the Kool-Aid probably mm, two or three weeks ago. 
And uh, David and I have both just been going hard in the paint for Battlefleet Gothic. Uh, we played a we played a 750 point game. David and I did on Friday, I think. Yeah, it, and it was so awesome. Uh, the scenario we played was raid, uh, which hashtag BFG lives, and uh, it was so much fun. Uh, Stephen, you 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 talk it better than I would. Uh, so essentially what the scenario is, is one side has a single ship or squadron of ships, uh, usually the little escort ships, and they are fleeing from a larger pursuing force. The The scenario itself is called the bait. Um, so the player that has their ship as the bait can bring on their reinforcements starting on turn one, should they choose. Uh, so it's really kind of a delicate dance of getting in close to destroy that one little bait ship while not getting completely raffle-stomped by whatever comes onto the table edge next. Right, because also, the longer that your opponent keeps their guys in reserves on that game, the further they can deploy them up the board, essentially getting behind you if they wait long enough. Is that correct? You got it. Look at you, knowing some BFG stuff. Yeah, well, you got to thank Age of Darkness. That is true. Uh, Most of my heresy time, um, as it is, has been focused on the Secret Santa. Uh, much like everybody else, I am super excited to see what my uh, gifty thinks of this thing that I've painted up for him. Uh, Jared can attest I put a lot of personal detail into whatever Secret Santa present it is. A lot of detail regarding them, the player as a person. So this one's got a lot of cool little Easter eggs and details and numbers and bits on it. So I'm pretty excited to see what they think about it. Very cool. All right. And I guess we'll finish up with myself. Um, not really much going on finally finished my first eight iron hands in the new legion so that's pretty cool i've been getting some pretty good feedback on them people like them and uh, i like them they're very easy to reproduce so i'll be going with them for a much longer time than i was before and uh of course it is a shattered legion so i've been working on the raven guard hq and that kind of stuff too what i think is going to be a fun little thing for listeners is keeping track of how many armies will plays or has claimed to have played yeah there's a few we'll say there's a few i mean almost every loyalist i've at least painted a squad of i think and we'll make a drinking game out of it every time uh, one mentions a different army take a drink yeah right um but no i got um all the the uh the Shattered Legion stuff is ready to go. I'm just focusing on the Iron Hands since they're the core of it. I'm using Shattered Medusa, so I've got a bunch of different clans mixed in with the squads. I've got just a bunch of different tactics I plan on using, so it'll be it'll be really cool, I think, uh, to see it. And I'm trying to make it as close to the book Shattered Legions as possible. So it'll be fun. We'll see. It, it's definitely going to be a long-term project. It's not going to be something I'll do in the next two months and then be done with it, you know? Yeah. All right, so coming up next segment is going to be uh, events with David, William, and myself. Ariana Forge. Civil war erupted across Ariana Forge when the Mechanicum priests of the Forge world declared their allegiance to the Fabricator General of Mars and sided with the War Master Horus. For months, the Mechanicum has made war on the beleaguered Imperial citizens of Ariana, 
The bonded night houses and cybernetica legions of the dark mechanicum have all but burned out the meager resistance put up by the besieged imperial governor and the remnants of his PDF. The war is all but lost, but there is still hope. God engines loyal to the emperor of mankind are making planet fall, along with reinforcements from the solar auxilia and militias. Orestes' hive is all that remains of imperial resistance on Ariana Forge. Ash and smoke in the hive have reduced visibility to almost nothing, and the combination of background superstructure fires and crumbling architecture have made using the thermals and auspects next to useless. Death is sure to come at arm's length. All right, we're back with uh, events, and we've got David. He's going to be going over our uh, next D43 event. David, what do you got? Hey, guys, thanks. Uh, yeah, super excited about this next uh, big D43 event. This is the Battle for Ariana Forge. Um, this is a mech versus solar auxilla uh, mega battle. Um, by mega battle, I'm talking, you know, think big blam uh, and... Uh, I've just been super inspired for a long time, probably since Nova, but even before then, um, to get you know to get those really big units um, on the table, and also bring in some of the armies that we don't usually see in events, right? So events are usually you know traders versus loyalists, and the legions play heavy and kind of bring in the uh, the mortals and the um, the mech on the side. But I really wanted to focus in on the Mechanicum and the solar auxilla and militia for this mega battle and obviously bring in the, uh, the Legio Titanicus and the night houses because they're going to be the, the anchors for this, this big blam event. Um, and to give you guys a little bit of background on what this is, is it is a forge world, Ariana forge that's in the D 43 system. Um, just like any forge world, it supplies, uh, you know, critical war materials and stocks to the crusade. Um, however, this forge world has gone, going trader is probably pushing it a little too far because it's a forge world. They've seceded from the greater Imperium. So they've declared allegiance to Mars. They've declared allegiance to the fabricator general and sort of by default that aligns them with Horus and his, um, you know, the trader legions as they push towards Terra. But um, for our purposes in this event, that means that the uh, Imperial Governor on Ariana Forge, because Forge Worlds are not just uh, mech adepts and, you know, uh, creepy crawly guys walking around, right? That they're, they're still like, yeah, you know, yeah. human beings there and they're still, you know, an Imperial Governor. So what happened is the, um, the Mechanicum seceded and then the imperial governor was like, oh, fuck, right? Uh, and so he became kind of uh, embattled. And, and this is the defense of the imperial governor. Um, this is sort of his last stand. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm just super excited about it, man. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's really cool from what I've seen that you put out so far. Um, a couple things I want to ask you, though, if you don't mind. Um, why exactly 
Imperial forces and PDF and Solar Auxilia rather than the standard Legion. Now you mentioned it was because you know you don't see them often. Is there any other reason than that? I mean, it just fits in with the narrative, I think. Um, you know, but also we've got some Imperial, um, we've got some Solar Auxilia players as well as some militia players uh, in our in our local community, um, as well as some Mechanicum players. So when I first started thinking about this I, I reached out to uh to jason which is our you know he's our uh local uh mechanicum guru right and i said hey man if we do this i need i need an anchor i'm gonna need you to like anchor the the uh the forces of the mechanicum and uh jason being the uh the superstar that he is said yeah man no problem i got this right how many how many points do you want me to bring um so with uh with jason's bonded uh, Nighthouse and his Mechanicum forces, and then Austin's uh, militia, which will represent the sort of the tattered PDF, right? And then obviously Robbie's um, Solar Auxilla. And I, I, uh, I wrote the, I, w- I wrote a special part in for Robbie because he's gone full trader, right? Um, his Solar Auxilla, Robbie. I know you're you're listening, man. So this is going to be exciting for you. Your Solar Auxilla for this are going to be the defectors from the PDF, right? You, you guys have... Oh, yeah, that's really yeah. cool. I like that. Oh, that's yeah. exciting. Um, so, uh, you know, Will, I don't know how much time you, you want to spend on this, but I've come up with some unique mechanics for this game uh, just based on the experience I had at Nova with Big Blam and the time it took to kind of go back and forth between sides. Uh, I've, I've, I've tweaked a few things, and hopefully that'll speed the game up, make it a little more dynamic, and uh, and hopefully a little more fun. Yeah. Um, so I notice talking about speeding things up, right? On your event, you've listed this as being fifteen minute uh, player sides. Is that it, or is it turn? The entire turn is fifteen minutes. Yeah. So it's going to be alternating activations and fifteen I minutes. Like is, oh, sounds really cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a lot more dynamic. And in, even from base, starting with deployment, it's going to be alternating activation. So, um, you know, we're going to, it's it's going to be back and forth. Um, the, the turns are going to be um, based on, um, you know, uh, basically super heavies going uh, close to last and then the, knight, the knights and the titans going last. So everything below super heavy is going to be able to kind of move and fight move and fight, advance the field, you know, create that, that melee in the center. And then of course the big guys are going to rain destruction. And, uh, a couple other mechanics I've thrown in there are like, uh, uh all range is reduced to half. Um, because yeah, yeah, that's going to force Titans and super heavies to get in close. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just want to make, I just want to make it a really dynamic. I want to make it a really fun, um, back and forth game. Um, Good. Um, Another question then. I noticed you said 1,500 blocks in Leviathan Four Sword Charts. So you'll be actually be enforcing this because that's what makes it a mega battle, not an APOC game, right? If it was an APOC game, it'd just be like, bring all your stuff, put it on the table. But you've made it a mega battle because you're doing 1,500 point blocks in Leviathan Four Sword Chart. So that means you get your one HQ or compulsory unit, which is your Leviathan, and you can have two other super heavies, and then you can have your ally detachment of your smaller guys like Mech and that kind of stuff, right? And then 
you know, you don't have a limit on how many forces you can take. So you can take one block of 1500, which is three knights that fills out one Leviathan force. And then you can bring another three knights, which fills out another Leviathan force, which is really cool. I like that because it keeps things balanced as far as points wise and force or chart, but it still feels like a mini APOC game. Yeah, no, exactly, Will, and 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 you turned me on to the Leviathan four chart, you know, inside the Age of Darkness um, black books, right? Um, it's it, it it's it's legit. It's an optional force organization chart inside of uh, the Horse Heresy, and uh, I think it keeps it very clean. And I am capping this at twelve k aside uh, because we just we have we have real limitations. So the logistics of this event is going to be. 12k uh no more than 12k on the loyalist side no more than 12k on the uh on the trader side just just for logistics purposes and and making sure we can actually get through a game and the the place uh, that where we're going to host it battlegrounds you know we'll we'll have the room to do that yeah all right so you mentioned 12k you said right yes um what do you have confirmed that's going there like who, who do you know is going there all right, so let's go over the bidding. Uh, this is going to be super fun. Um, let's go out to Jason first because uh, Jason is the uh, the de facto general for the secessionist mechanicum. Um, Jason, I will I will go out to you. What do you have, sir? Right, right now, uh, it's given me a great excuse to finally put together this stupid Porphyrian. I mean, he's basically sat around uh, for a couple months now. I keep uh, taking him out of the box, looking at him, saying, nope, sticking him back in there every time I see the 40 hoses for each stupid giant last cannon. But uh, that aside, he's going to be the head of about, I'm hoping around uh, around 1,800 points of knights, and along with uh, a bunch of my uh, trader mechanicum, holding it down with some giant stompy robots for a full 3,000 altogether. Nice. How have you got that broken down then, Jason? Are you bringing two Leviathan four sword charts um, like split or, or are you loading all your knights into one in, into one four sword chart? How, how are you doing that? Yeah, I'm going to try to split it between two Leviathan force orgs to kind of, you know, keep it small and modular, easy to manage. Hey, Jason, do you I've got you down right now uh, for about forty five hundred points because I want to fill that table up with um some smaller units, right? So some, some, uh, Castellacs and some, you know, um, I don't even know all the little Mechanicum units that you have. Right. But, uh, at Secularis, right. I want to fill, I want to fill the table up. So are, are you good to, uh, to bring like 4,500 points? Oh yeah. I should be fine with that. Okay. All right. Cool, man. And then do you, does your bonded Nighthouse have, uh, have like a backstory? Do you have like a, like a tie into this or? Have you, have oh, you absolutely. Yeah. So my trader Mechanicum are big fans of taking over knights uh, just because what's better than a giant stompy Castellax than a bigger, stompier knight? Plus, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Titans so far as it goes, and I love how great knights are at killing Titans in close combat. So the more knights I could add to my little indentured uh, knight house, the better. Yeah, I, I, I want to see it. I want to see a knight take out a titan in this game. I want to see. I don't care if it's a loyalist knight taking out a traitor titan, or a bonded uh, dark mechanicum knight taking out uh, one of my reavers. I, I want to see a knight take out a titan. That's going to be that cool. is one hundred percent a goal at the top of this <laughs> game. So, speaking of knights, um, let's go out to Steven because 
Steven's kind of like just, uh, he's a dark horse out there, man. Steven apparently has a nighthouse. Steve-O? Um, yeah. The Ariana Forge will be the debut of my nighthouse, which has never been fielded before. I don't think I've ever even fielded a single night from my nighthouse. Um, for a long time, I didn't like nights. I thought they were kind of dumb. Um, and then I got two for $40. And uh, from there, it just snowballed. They're really fun to build. They're really fun to convert. Uh, being the heretic at heart that I am, mine have a bunch of spikes and chaos bits and all sorts of fun little doodads on them. Very cool. And I think uh, Robbie's going to go full trader with his Solar Auxilla, since they're the defectors from the PDF. I know he also has a Mortis Warhound from Legion Audax that he needs to be an Ursus Claw for, uh, that he needs to build an Ursus Claw for. Robbie's going to do that, and I think Jason and Austin are going to come up with the rules. I think Robbie's got about 5,000 points, so we're almost there for the traders. Will, what do you have for Super Heavies? I am going to try to get my two Shadow Swords built. Uh, We'll see. Might happen, might not. Um, I won't put any Legion uh, heraldry on them. That'll be the last thing I do. So, uh, you know, they'll just look like black iron super heavies. So there you go. Very cool. I myself personally, I have let's see a few knights. Uh, two of them right now are built and painted in the uh, House Viridian scheme that was designed from Master of Mankind, which was painted by Will, which are absolutely beautiful and. Thank you. I'm glad you like them. Oh, yeah. Really excited to see them on the table here pretty soon. And hopefully with that, I think I have, there's a Knight Lancer. And yep, you got a Knight Lancer and a Knight Castigator on the table as well. Yes, they're going to look pretty sweet. All in House Viridian, Master of Mankind scheme. I love it. it now, Jesse, is this, is this pre-Master of Mankind, House Viridian scheme? Uh, no, this is their uh, revenge scheme, basically. Okay, the, so they're they're the they're they're, the they're blacked imperial. out. Yes. Yeah, they're black gold with the uh, Aquilas. I love it. Replacing man. their sigils and that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. So fucking cool. There should be yeah. a few pictures of at least one of them on the uh, the Richmond 30k Facebook page. There should be a few pictures there. All right, since Austin's not here, um, I'm just going to talk Austin. What I've got him down for real quick, and you guys back me up on this if I'm off base, but. Austin is our local militia player, right? So the dirty, unwashed masses, the, the PDF, right? They're the uh, they're the guys that don't get the good gear, um, but they are going to be the backbone of this uh, militia resistance, right? And so, he's playing the non-defectors, right? They're they're still the loyal to the governor. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep they're they're defending the the governor in in, in this last stand. Um, so um, hoping he's got lots of tanks. Um, and uh, probably some Aegis defense lines, and uh, I think I think Austin rolls heavy in thunderbolts. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah, he yeah, does. He's really yeah. good with the thunderbolts. Yeah, I'm lo- totally looking forward to that. So um, I know we're going kind of long, but I did want to mention one thing. Um, uh, this is kind of rumor mill, but I don't know if you guys saw on the um, the Richmond 30K Facebook page, um, Nate. From the Grand Legion, uh, who you know he runs the events at Adepticon and, and Nova, said he may be bringing his Warlord Titan to this event. So Nate, if yeah. you're listening, I've got three thousand points reserved for your Warlord Titan, sir. Um, now let's 
say Nate doesn't come, we do have Jared here. So yes. what is Jared bringing? Well, I thought Jared was going to have a baby. I thought that's what Jared was bringing. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's bringing a tiny <laughs> toddler. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just put that on the table, Jared. February 2nd. Okay, all right. So we're 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 close, but we're not there yet. Jared, what are you bringing if little uh, little dude is not here yet? Um, so assuming Henry doesn't make an early appearance, five thousand to seventy five hundred points of mech ready to go. I'm militia, so I can kind of play loyalist traders wherever you need points. I can kind of fill the gap. Yeah, that's right. I always forget that you have like a stock of Krieg that you use as militia in like your back pocket always. And then, you know, you haven't played with your mech since you joined the Imperial Fist, so it'll be nice to see them again. Blow the dust off. Yeah, Jared, we will fit you in, my friend. If if you can make this event, you will be there. No worries. So that leaves us right now um, with, with sort of Jared in the, in the, in the, uh, the wings and Nate, uh, if he brings the Warlord in the wings, the, um, the Loyalists are at about 7K. Uh, with Jesse's House Viridian uh, in that mix, and the, the secessionists, the traders, are at 11K. So if you want to play in this event and you want to be a secessionist, you want to be a trader, uh, you need to get in now, right? Hit me up on Facebook. Hit me up on the Richmond 30K event posting and let me know what you've got so that I can put you down, right? So again, I'm not trying to exclude anybody, but there are real logistical limitations to running an event like this. So we want to make sure that we're, you know, everybody's getting a chance to play. And if you're on the loyal side, hit me up as well. And uh, I think it's going to be awesome. Will, back to you, my friend. Yeah, outstanding. Thank you very much. Uh, coming up next, we've got Worth a Buy with Robbie. All right, stay tuned. We're back here. We've got uh, Stephen, Robbie, and Jason on Worth a Buy. They're going to be going over the Malkador today. Robbie, go ahead. All right, guys. Worth a Buy. Today we're talking about Malkador Heavy Tank. All right, give you a little fluff on it. A truly ancient design dating back to the wars of the Age of Strife on Ancient Terra. The imperial production model of this heavy tank pattern was given the name of Malkador the Sigilite, right hand of the Emperor. During the early days of the Great Crusade 1000, these war machines rolled off the production lines of Mars and Voss. Although not as heavily armed as Goliaths, such as the Bane Blade or the Stormhammer, the Malkador nevertheless possesses a number of advantages to its design, the principle of which it is battle speed, which is truly formidable for a tank of its size thanks to a highly sophisticated, somewhat temperamental drive system. By the time of the Horus Heresy, many Malkador heavy tanks had been uh, relegated to strategic reserves and second-line Imperial Army units, replaced by larger numbers of small, more tactically flexi- flexible tanks such as Lehman Russ and its many variants. The demands of the galaxy-wide civil war soon brought them back into the fray, however, while their availability saw them used as test beds for a variety of new variants designed to plug gaps in supply and resource. This has got to be one of my favorite units in all 30k so i'm gonna be a little biased on the work but we'll, we'll hash it out so uh, it's a it's a little more of a pricey pick from forge world you know it's one of your top tier in the price range but 
you know, it has so much utility in it. You kind of get what you pay for. Talking about the kit itself before we start talking about points, it's super easy to build. You know, all the pieces, they're kind of like planks. So if you do get a or something, it's very easy to heat, bend back in place, and get it glued up. So very minimal pinning. The only downside, if you don't like doing tank tracks, you're not going to like them. So you might want to move on. Jason, do you like the tank tracks? I got to say, I'm not the biggest fan, but right now I'm putting together about five Land Raider Proteus. And let me tell you, dude, I would put together a Malkador like any day of the week over this like Land Raider crap. Oh, I agree 100%. So the base Malkador, we'll start off with the Colt Militia because that's the one that doesn't have any special rules. It's just the tank itself. It comes in, it clocks out a DS3, uh, front armor 13, side armor 13, rear. 12 with six hole points coming in at 235 points and that comes with a battle cannon on a traverse turret a hole mounted auto cannon and two auto cannon sponsons now that's bare minimum no additions you're getting a super heavy tank you're getting something that can move 12 inches it ignores the one shot pin explode results so you know just that 235 points when you compare that to say a kitted out lehman russ which is about 165, 170. You're only paying about 70, 60 more points to ignore terrain, not get penetrated and force a snap fire, and the one shot, one kills, and you get access to the Thunderblitz table, which is super if you've ever got to just flip a rhino into another rhino. Steven, you said you're, you're going to throw in some Malkadors to your Night Lords. Why is that? Uh, mostly because my Night Lords, uh, in order to make maximum use of talent for murder, I have loaded up on jump pack infantry. Uh, so I wanted a tank that was just as fast as the infantry, and my two options were a Sikarin or a Malkador, and I thought, well, for the points and for the money, you can't beat the Malkador. Uh, nothing says haha like rolling up 12 inches and then blasting someone in the face with the Demolisher Cannon. Oh, yeah. It is a best. Uh, I know Jason has played uh, Solar Auxilia, and he's a big Malkador man. Uh, so, the only difference that I saw from Solar to Bolt Militia, uh, it's the same base points. It's all coming in, clocking with BS3, 13, 13, 12, and 6 hole points. But you get the Explorer Adaptation, which pretty much just gives it a 6-up involt to blast, which you know, if we're just giving rules for free, that's a pretty cool free rule. Because um, who doesn't bring blast in their, their army? The thing that really sets Solar Auxilia away from the militia, though, is the access to a tank commander. This right here totally changes the role that you want to give them. Door. You know, you can give it, first off, it just puts the ballistic skill of four right off the bat. So, you know, you're not fishing for, you know, 50%. You're getting Space Marine off. You get access to pick stuff like Tank Hunter. It will not die. I think you get Scout or Move Through Cover, Monster Hunter. And there's another one with Precision Shots. But there's a couple on here that I just, I absolutely love, like uh, Scout and Move Through Cover. Move Through Cover gets kind of lost because you are super heavy. But Scout really brings brings the pain because you can scout that 12 inches forward to get your demolisher cannon right in range or you can just say hey 
I'm going to outflank a gunboat. I'm going to put last cannon spawn sends. I'm going to put a twin link last cannon and then a demolisher cannon. I'm just going to outflank and take sidearm and take out whatever's in the way. Jason, how'd you run your mouth? So my favorite thing about the Malkador is that you can have both the battle cannon and the demolisher cannon on the same chassis to give you two pie plates from one super mobile tank. The amount of times I put that to use makes it worth like every point to me. Plus, you've got that flare shield on the front for way, way less than what like a Spartan gets it for. So not only are you putting out a lot of big templates, but you're more or less ignoring all the templates that can get thrown back at you from the front. When when uh, when do you say you've added too many options? Because that's something that I always borderline have problems with, you know, because they start off at 235. And, you know, by the time you add the flare shield and the demolisher cannon, you're going to add siege armor to get that front armor routine. You're looking at 300 points now. Now we're like, hey, for another 100 points, I could have added a knight or another one. When do you draw the line of what's the options to burn? Well, the first thing I think that's kind of important is the siege armor, because that's what, 10, 15 points? 10 points. It's better just to think of the Malkador as a 245-point model, because I don't see any scenario which you shouldn't pay for that upgrade to the front armor oh not at all that's always the first thing that I, regardless of what it but considering if you're putting last cannons into this thing for 20 points you're putting a tank commander in it for 55 the truth is you are about the same getting close to the same points as a knight but this thing has a lot more ranged uh potential than a knight does A knight's going to have a single main weapon and maybe a gun like a missile pod on top. Of course, the Malkador doesn't have a D-saber in close combat, but it has way more uh, ability to put big templates and las cannons down range. Plus, with the tank commander, you've got something nasty like preferred enemy infantry or tank hunter to make it even more effective. Honestly, between this... Uh, all of that range potential and the flare shield and the tank commander, I'd gladly take a Malkador over a knight pretty much any day. Absolutely, that's a good... Well, here's good here's another way that uh, a Malkador actually benefits over a knight or, say, a Bane Blade or a Fell Blade or any other super heavy that you could take, is that it's a super heavy, but it's not a Lord of War, which means it doesn't give up a victory point for being destroyed per price of failure. Yeah, that is a great point. It's a, putting a super heavy in the heavy support slot, which yeah. that, you know, in itself, doesn't matter how many points you're playing, you can say, I'm going to bring a damn Malkador. I can almost bring one in Zone Portalis. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I mean, then to add insult to injury, you can squadron them. When was the last time you uh, squadroned the knight? Well, that's, hey. right now we're on Solar Auxilia. We're going to move on to the Legion a little bit. That's a, that's yeah. a whole other ballgame. Right now that's we're on... True. Clear. The Solar Auxilia were putting Malkadors in heavy support before the Legions borrowed it. Yeah. No, I love I love the Malkador, you know, what brought me to it was the the hobby part of it. You know, because when you look at Legions, uh, you look at very pristine, everything's clean cut. And then you look at the Malkador, it's like, oh my gosh, I gotta rough this thing up. I'm going to learn how to use some weathering powders. I'm going to get this thing, you know, this thing's going to look like it just got dug out of the ground. 
And then once I started playing with them, it's like, oh my gosh, this thing is the bee's knees. This is the best unit. It's, I it's almost... the pig pen of the Legion Armory. Yeah. Yeah, so let's move on to the, the Legion Malkador then. So the difference from Legion Malkador to the Solar Auxiliary and the Colt is it comes in at a bigger base price. It's base 275. That's including a ballistic skill of 4 and front armor 14. So you're pretty much paying for a better shot and you're being forced to buy the siege armor. You know, it comes with the battle cannon just like the other variants. But instead of having the auto cannons, this is, you know, hull mounted heavy bolter and side spawns and heavy bolter. So very vicious. Um, I thought about bringing a couple in a Iron Warriors because their heavy bolters got pinning. And I was like, man, that's a mass heavy bolter coming out. But what changes it is there's a couple special rules for the Legion Malkador that the other ones do not have access to. And that's first, it can squadron up. You know, who doesn't want to put three super heavies in one heavy support slot? One, you probably shouldn't do that, a little gamey, but there's certain scenarios where that's almost a necessity. Some rights war limit your heavy support, kind of like a like decapitation strike. You only get one heavy support choice, so if you're, you need some heavy tanks, this might be the way to go. It may be a little dangerous to squadron up some super heavies due to the explosion on the catastrophic table and you know being assaulted or targeted by flyers but that's up to you but the cool thing is you do get the option to squadron up uh, second rule sub uh, a top automatic reactor this you roll 2d6 and you just select the for the thunder blitz and the, the catastrophic damage now the first one thunder blitz it's kind of a debuff because you know it's really hard to fish for that you know that overrun and flip and really mess people up on your t-blitz table but what that does do it allows your legion units to work much closer in unison with your knockadors and allows that squadron to work a little better because you don't really have to worry about rolling a six on the d chart if you're rolling on the you know rolling 2d6 picking the lowest you don't have to think about it being the large d blast so you don't think that's going to drift over onto your other so that is a there and a debuff at the same time. The biggest buff that the Legion Malkador gets, in my opinion, is battle speed. This lets it fire its traverse-mounted weapon before or after it's flat out. Now, that doesn't seem really, really big in the beginning because, like, oh, you just get to shoot your one battle cannon or last cannon. But then you get to think of, like, some of the options that it gets to go for. So right off the bat, you bring in a demo cannon. You're not in range turn one. Well, guess what? Two, four, 12, flat out another six, you know, just to get in the fray and then shoot our battle cannon. So instead of having to flat out or having to repurpose and just totally miss out on a complete round of shooting, you get to say, hey, I'll just shoot the battle cannon. I'm not going to shoot my side sponsons. I wasn't going to shoot my demonstra cannon anyways because range. So you just get a free movement. The next is shooting. And then getting out of sight. I used to use this all the time when I played with the White Scars. I'd forward out of a, maybe around a building. I'd fire battle cannon. And then I would flat out, boom, no, one, no return fire. Doesn't matter what side, what AV you're getting. You can't even see me. So that was really effective. The using. old shoot and scoot. Yeah, shoot and scoot. And, you know, it's a Malkador. You don't think about a Malkador being able to move like that. 
and then shooting and then blocking my this is when I found out that battle speed was like pretty legit. It actually won me a game. So I had two guys holding an objective in open ground, and then uh, a plasma squad came came to take them out. It was like eight plasma guys, I think, and they were in cover. I had the Malkador and the scoring unit. If they would, if you would have shot my scoring unit, I would have lost the game. So I had a choice: I could shoot them with the demo cannon and the battle cannon. They were going to get cover, so they could survive. And then they just needed a couple shots left to shoot my two objective holders. So I was like, all right, other option, drive up 12 inches, hit them with the battle cannon, and then flat out lock in the line of sight to hold the objective. And it worked flawless, but I had neutered the plasma squad well with the battle cannon, and then I stopped them from shooting my objective holders, and I weathered the storm to shoot the Malkador on the side on their plasma, so... Like dang, battle speed, it's pretty pretty legit. And just to reiterate, battle speed is only available to the Legion variant. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. I I I definitely uh feared those Malkadors under the White Scars banner. because uh, one of the things about them is for given their hull points, they're like what, six, seven? They got six apiece. Yeah, they are, as far as super heavies go, relatively light. Um they are they're some of the the lowest hole pointed super heavies, uh, but the problem is is that you can't stop them by knocking some hole points off and just saying okay well he's stunned I'll deal with something else next. You really have to dedicate fire to kill Malkadors, and it's even worse when they're in squadrons because it's like well I can really spend a whole bunch of points on anti armor and try and nail those Malkadors and kill them before they become a hassle, but here's the rest of the Legion army coming to punch me in the face. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had some of the most fun with Malkadors because I like to be able to think about my, my strategy before playing. And it's not like a base tank where it's like, man, if you just roll that six with a last cannon, you're going to blow it up. So the Malkador kind of gives you that, that security that you can, you can plan around because you know it's going to have some staying power. Yeah, it's got side armor 13. It can get pinned, but you know, that's six whole points that you have to get through before it explodes. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of work to kill those kill those things. Yeah, I look at the Malkador. It's like your granddad's pickup truck. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's old, it's boxy, and it's got a little rust, but it will damn sure get the job done. Yeah, good luck stopping it. So I'm going to say the general consensus is it is definitely worth a buy. Absolutely. It's oh, worth yeah. buys, dude. It's buys. Get them. Get, them. get on. more than one. Fantastic. All right. Coming up next on Remembrancer's Retreat, we have Horace Heresy Grad School with Jason. Now we're doing a segment called Heresy Grad School, which is just going over some of the cool events that are found in the black books. We've got David, Jason, and Jared. All right, guys. This is a new segment we're going to try out that I'm really excited about. Everybody's got a book review segment, so we want to do something a little bit different. 
We're calling this heresy grad school because everybody's been through their heresy history undergrad. You've read some of the history, you page through it on the way, skipping through, maybe you skimmed it a bit on your way to check out the new rules or whatever. But this is where we're going to go back, school you, and get you ready for the hardcore heresy exam at the end of the season. So today, we're taking a look at a book six retribution at a section called Tooth and Claw. That starts at page 103, if you want to follow along at home with that badass red talon, like kind of coming down and grabbing the world eater symbol. It looks pretty hard ass, which is fitting because this entire section is about one of the most hard ass loyalists out there, Autech Moore. So, Dave, Jared, let me paint you a little picture starting out with this history lesson. Say you're really excited about your new assignment at work. You come in for your first day on this big new project and shit's on fire. Building's on fire. Somebody run past you on fire yelling that the boss is dead. You don't know what's going on. Guns are going off in the background. It's a real shit show. That's essentially what Autek Moore shows up to at the Istvan 5 atrocity. Now, we've all got a good idea of what went down at Istvan 5. You've got the Salamanders, the Raven Guard, and the Iron Hands kind of getting all mishmashed in there by a whole bunch of traitor legions. But the important deal is, when Ferris stormed in to try and take out Angron, Horus, Fulgrim, and Mortarion, all by himself. You've got those four big traitor Primarchs. He kind of screwed himself on that one because all he did was charge ahead and bring down his golden boys, which were, of course, the Avernii. Uh, those were his favorite clan at the time, which was comprised mainly of the Morlocks, which were his badass Gorgon Terminator bodyguard, uh, which were run mostly by the first captain, the Equerry. Uh, Gabriel Santar. Now, Santar, he has a real bad time of it. He gets like stabbed the second he gets down there, and pretty much his entire contribution is watching what happens to Ferris. But in comes Autek Moore. Autek Moore is interesting here because, first off, he's Terran born. He came in before Ferris did, he was part of the very first intake of the Iron Hands way back on Terra before they were even called the Iron Hands. So he even fought in the original conquest of the soul system. So he's a pretty hardcore veteran. Now, by the time Ferris comes back in, Altec Moore already has a command and he has kind of a reputation for being a pretty violent asshole. So everybody knows the Medusans have these giant crawlers. Think like these big land Leviathan sort of deals. Uh, Autech Moore didn't have one of his own, so he murdered the hell out of a rival outlaw clan inside of a single night and takes over one for his own little, you know, sort of uh, bunch of outlaws in Clan Morrigal, which, again, opposed to Clan Avernii, the Avernii are the Golden Boys. Ferris loves them. Ferris doesn't so much love Clan Morrigal run by Autech Moore. So that's where he tosses all the miscreants, all like, think of it like Iron Hand's detention. If you like cutting the lunch line or whatever, this is where Ferris is going to send you when you don't follow the rules. So, from there, 
He's got his own deal. He shows up late to the party because, of course, Ferris isn't a big fan, so he doesn't really send the memo, you know, in a timely fashion. Autech Moore shows up just as soon as Ferris dies. That was pretty much his first deal upon getting to the Istvan system. Dad's dead. Shit's going down. Nobody knows what's happening. He leads one of the first and most potent breakout actions from the fleet, because, of course, he never even gets down to the surface of the planet. What he does do is blow a huge hole in the traitor fleet and punch his way out with as many of the Iron Hand's ships that are still in working order that he can manage. Yeah, and the other legions, right, Jason? Absolutely. You've got a few remnants from the Salamanders, a few from the Raven Guard. Now, since we all love Mr. Graham McNeil, I'm sure you've all heard many, many goings-on of the Shattered Legions uh, run by Shadrach Medusan. It's kind of a hodgepodge of those three Istvan loyalist legions. Well, that wasn't good enough for Autech Moore. He thought that those little hiding-in-the-shadow guerrilla tactics were so far beneath him, wouldn't even consider it. So he decided to go the other way by absolutely slaughtering anything he could get his hands on. He started out by wiping out planets that the traitors had recently taken over. He'd wait for a traitor force to take over a planet, then assault that planet and the traitor force that had just beaten the shit out of each other and wipe them both out. And that's where he started his entire bigger scale guerrilla war with these full scale assaults. But I mean, that's a pretty good turnaround from his really shitty first day on the Isvan assignment, right, I guess. So, so yeah, no, that, that's a great rundown, Jason. And, and if, if you guys are following along at home, uh, what Jason just talked about is like literally three pages uh, in the black book, uh, 103 to 105 on, on Autech more. And there's just so much goodness in these books. Right. And uh, I, I love getting into it. Um, so Autech Moore, the Iron Father of Clan Morrigal, uh, is, I think, best examined in contrast to Shadmac, Shadrach uh, Medjusin. Um So Jason sort of uh, alluded to the guerrilla war that uh, Shadrach is waging on the traitor legions as they make their way to Terra, right? So it's like death by a thousand cuts, right? So Shadrach's uh, interdicting these forces as they go um, through and... Uh, you know, taking them out piecemeal or, or taking them out, you know, targeting convoys. But uh, uh, Autech Moore is like, no, fuck that, man. He's like, we're, we're taking down planets. We're taking down traitor planets, right? So um, the backstory to this is just awesome. Uh, he, he, he literally fights his way out of Istvan and then stays in system and battles the traitor fleets as they kind of move towards Terra. And he's not hiding while he's doing this. He's, he's fighting engagements. Um, and then as the traitor, the traitor fleets and Horus, uh, you know, kind of move towards Terra, he's just taking out planets uh, from the rear as they go. And uh, Jason, I don't know if you wanted to pick up on that. Absolutely. So the very first planet that he wiped out with was Gethsemane Colonus. Uh, this was kind of where he cemented his more or less diametric opposite of Medusa's little shadow guerrilla war. Uh, he dropped the Red Talon, which is, of course, his badass flagship, into orbit 
nabbed a bunch of key trader prisoners in little surgical raids, and then blew the rest of the planet to hell with nuclear weapons. Which, I mean, he took exactly the prisoners he wanted to, and then absolutely blew the rest of the planet into its component atoms. Then just Wait, flew. What, what planet are we talking about? Gethsemane Colonus. Oh, yeah, so I totally missed that. So we're not at Tridecimia yet. No, that is probably the most famous one where he starts getting into the world leaders recruiting planets. Okay. So that's a good lead in though, because this is where Autech Moore starts really going ham on world leaders. Now world leaders are my very first legion. I have a special little spot in my heart for them, even though I don't play Marines that often anymore, but let me set another scene for you. So bot is this recruiting planet. Uh, the world leaders conquered it way back in the Great Crusade, uh, took it over with Angron. They loved Angron so much for saving them that they vowed to be a recruiting planet for him. And these really interesting, uh, they're referred to as Newman gun clans that were hanging out with the world leaders during the Great Crusade, kind of moved in to bot and set up shop, kind of made their own little wacky Mad Max uh, gun clan fight going down. Uh, they set up roots there, and once they did, they started to recruit from the feral warrior tribes that roamed across the planet uh, to kind of add forces to the 13th Expeditionary Fleet that followed along with the World Eaters as kind of their tithe. But what's interesting still, the World Eaters, when they started recruiting from the planet, they would recruit from the gun clans. And everybody knows to be a space marine, you got to go through all the badass like induction trials. Well, the gun clan aspirants, their induction trials were being tossed into battle against actual world eaters. That was your test to get into the world eaters in the first place. Yeah, it's it's interesting. They talk about bot like it's uh, what, what do they call it in the black book? They call it a fiefdom of the world yeah. eaters legion. But I guess what would that be like in 40k? It would be like, um, I mean, like I don't know, like the planets that you recruit from, right? Yeah, the world leaders had a really cosmopolitan deal of recruiting from every planet they went across. Uh, kind of like the Ultramarines, they were a really, really big legion that had a ton of influx from a bunch of different planets, which is kind of cool that they're unique in that way. They didn't care where you came from as long as you could throw down and kill another dude with an axe. Well, they also couldn't afford to be picky because their casualties were so high, they really recruits as possible. Absolutely, but so were the Iron Warriors, and they just pulled from Olympia. Huh. So we're, we're looking at this planet, Bot. This is not a nice planet. Like, I would not want to live on this planet. Jason, could you? Not. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you wanted to live, I don't know, like, in Mad Max Fury Road, I but, guess it would be all right. But, yeah, it's not great. It is described as extremely volcanic uh, with heavy toxis toxicity uh, as the result of exotic weapons uh, effects. So, so uh, what the fuck are the world legion or world eaters doing on this planet? So, not only are they using it as a recruiting planet for both the world eaters and these gun clans that they hang out with during the crusade, they also use it as a storage location for dark tech weapons that they found during the crusade. They'll conquer a planet, find some wacky dark age technology, and send it back to be stored here. 
because you can't talk about the world eaters without also talking about Serum, which is their allied Mechanicum stronghold. These guys are cool because just like any other legion, the world leaders have those embedded, you know, Mechanicum that follow them around, keep everything in line, repair shit for them. The Sarum tech priests moved in to Bot to take care and run these uh, dark weapon strongholds. So you have a bunch of, they're called the Crimson Priests of Serum, uh, this Mechanicum Covenant moving in, taking over, you know, managing these weapon stockpiles. And of course, they love Angron uh, way back when he liberated Sarum in the first place from these guys called the Brotherhood of Ruin. That sounds pretty badass, like, uh, you know, kind of like a villainous covenant that would fight He-Man and some Saturday morning cartoons. I kind of want to hear about those guys, but there's not a whole lot of detail on them. Uh, anywho, so they move in, they take over the forges and the weapon silos in Bot, And right after the Istvan atrocity is where stuff gets amusing on Bot. It starts getting uh, really happening there. Because a big detachment of world leaders apothecaries, they've gotten some new ideas from the Emperor's children and the word bearers. And a whole bunch of them show up. Uh, brand new special character in book six, uh, Galen Serlak, known and loved to all world leaders players across the game. Uh, he shows up along with his posse of apothecaries. They assume command of that induction process and really start ramping up production of those new world leaders. Oh shit! Did, is is this where Gollum Serlak comes in? I didn't even pick that up, man. Yeah, this is where Gollum Serlak first come in. Comes in. He is the uh, head of Inductee, which uh, wow. uh, it's so cool, man. I, you know, because uh, I played Gollum Serlak in a game against Jason uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that guy brings the pain. He absolutely uh, is awesome. Absolutely. He gets to uh, turn up those kind of already really good uh, world leaders tacticals into something to truly be feared. Uh, so, so getting back to the story, man, there, to me, this, this is like there's just so much unsanctioned shit going down on this planet, right? Like bot is just this like hotbed of heresy. Like we've got, uh, we're we're doing, we're uh, we're we're tweaking the Astartes biology. Mm -hmm. we're, we've got we've got uh, outlaw Xenos tech. I mean, we've just got so much. Um, like, uh, I mean, we just got so much heresy going on here. It's really good stuff, and this is probably some of those dark age tech weapons are what attracted Autech more to it in the first place. Which coming up next time. On Heresy Grad School, we're going to talk about Autech's more, Autech Moore's assault on Bot itself and the hard-ass conflict between him and the world leaders taking over it. And maybe even a moon comes into play. It's pretty good stuff. Well, thank you very much, guys. Um, great segment. And I can't wait to hear what else happens. I'm a huge Iron Hand fanatic. And Autech Moore is the worst good guy there is. He's the baddest good guy there is. There you go. Um, so I, I love him. And he plays great on the table. So I can't wait to hear. Uh, up next, we've got List Review with Steven. Uh, so hang tight.
we're back with review. Uh, this week we're going to be going with Stephen and his Nova list. So Stephen, take us away. Hey guys, so what uh, I'm going to be talking about here is my Last of the Serrated Sun Escalation Campaign list. It's a set of three different lists, one at 1,000, one at 1,750, one at 2,500 uh, that I played during the Nova Escalation Campaign. Uh, now, right off the bat, like I've said before, I play word bearers, so it is a word bearers list, and I am using the Last of the Serrated Sun Rite of War. Now, uh, Dreadclaws have long been a favorite unit of mine, so naturally I jammed as many of them as I could into my lists. Uh, Last of the Serrated Sun is a drop assault list. The main points to take away from it is that it takes my super fancy Galvorbach elites and makes them troops. And anything that could take a Rhino as a dedicated transport can instead take a Legion Drop Pod or a Dreadclaw. Um, all infantry has to have, in some way, shape, or form, arrive on the field via Deep Strike or within a flyer. So that's most of the transportation for my list. Uh, now, starting from HQs, I am naturally running a Praetor. Uh, he's fixed out with all the fixings. He's got his Paragon Blade, he's got his Artificer Armor. Uh, and per the charismatic command rule for my legion, I am bringing a chaplain as well. Uh, he's got an artificer armor as well. He has a power axe. He's got a refractor field. He's there to have a good time. Uh, now, unique to my legion is the burning lore, which makes everybody a level one psyker that can run off of either telepathy or biomancy. And I have put both of those upgrades onto my HQ choices. Moving into the elites, I have two tactical veteran squads writing and legion drop pods. Now the tactical or the legion tactic that I gave them was machine killers. So most of them are kitted out for anti-armor. I've got one melt again in there. And everybody else, or rather not everybody else, sorry. There are three other combi melts, one on the search. Both my troop choices are taken up with the Galvorbach. There's five of them. Both of them ride in Dreadclaws. The Dark Martyr, who in my opinion it's probably the best sergeant equivalent in the game. He's T5, I5, Strength 5, 3 wounds with 2-up armor and a 5-up emblem. He's a monster. Um, more than once, I have killed fancy Praetor equivalents with a power fist, Strength 10, to the face. It's good times. Also in the troop selection is a big tactical despoiler blob with bolt pistols and chainswords. They ride in a Storm Eagle, accompanied by my Praetor and my Chaplain. Now, for the 2500 list, I added a Shadow Sword, which I keep in reserves, and then I bring onto the table uh, to shoot at anything that looks at my men funny. Anything that looks big and scary and just looks like it's asking for a D-shot gets the D-shot. Well, let's get into it. Uh, the doubles with uh, Robbie. Uh, it performed extremely well with, with Robbie's White Scars. Uh, he brought a Command Rhino which allowed me to deep strike everything I needed to in it, right where I needed it. Uh, we would usually take second deployment, and I would open with my machine killer veterans, so he would just park that rhino across from any significant-looking armor. Uh, we would drop down, we'd put strength 9, AP1 melters into it, and just get it off the table right off the bat. Oh, Thank yeah, it was, it was epic. It's like, I would park the rhino, and we would take a key position, and... Oh. We had great matchups, though, because our doubles, we, like, complemented each other, and I had uh, a great staying power in the beginning, so, you know, I had two Malkadors with the player shields pointed out, so, you know, going second wasn't a big problem, and then it's like, hey, 
just biding time until Steven gets to be and then they play. Yeah. Um, one of the cool things was right after the veterans came down and they get rid of armor, uh, we brought in the Gal Vorbach to start chopping up anybody who's sitting on the objectives that we want. Uh, Gal Vorbach don't score, naturally, so uh, they were mostly just a of shutting everybody else off. Yes, sir. All right, so playing playing the game with you, you spent a lot of time. What is your favorite unit in your list? Like, who's your pride and joy? Um, it's easily the Gal Vorbach. Uh, they are so much fun to shove into an enemy squad and just watch them tear through it like they're paper mache. Yeah, I did. I did love watching. Uh, we had, we were playing a Raven Guard player, and he had his little. I think it was more Dathan, and they were hunkered down, getting their two up cover, and just totally tanking the demolisher and and the battle cannon. You're like, oh well, I guess the Galvorbach will get out of their claw and come chew them up. Boom, gone. Yeah, Galvorbach. If you've never faced them before, uh, they are what possessed Marines are supposed to be. They are initiative five, toughness five, strength five, weapon skill five, two wounds each. They cause fear. They have rending. There's only five of them to start off the squad, but once they get in with you. Unless you are a dedicated melee unit, they're going to kill you. Uh, they have I, no, they don't have hatred. Uh, sometimes I put them with the chaplain to okay. give them hatred, uh, but they do have five attacks each on the charge. So, yeah, they're scary. Um, they can take power weapons. They can take special weapons. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, the Dark Martyr can take a power fist, which bumps him up to strength ten. They're they're easily my favorite unit to watch. Um, and they don't even—they don't even necessarily have to be at full strength to tear apart a squad. Um, a couple times over the course of Nova and in other games I've played, you know, only two Galvorbach made it into combat with a tactical squad or a tactical support squad, and they still swept it. The T5, in my experience, is a, a major hazard to deal with. Yeah, they are two wounds each, like I said. So the even normally the big go-to weapon for killing out multi-wound Marines, the Power Fist. Can't can't just instant death the Galvorbach. They're pretty much the reason why I run so many tech marines is because I figured out, hey, rad grenades might help with the Galvorbach. Yeah, yeah. The the Galvorbach, their purpose really is to only ever kill. They don't score and they count as destroyed at the end of the game. So if they're gonna die anyway, they may as well take everybody with them. Yeah, I've always looked at you know Galvorbach. They're kind of like the traitor version of a custodian. They're they're. <laughs> They have instant death at least one custodian before, so it's good for me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you made your list, what did you think, uh, what were the biggest challenges that you had in this? Like, when you started to make the list, what were some key components, some key uh, theory on why you brought some of these units? Well, the the biggest problem I said uh, with the Galvorbach is that they don't score, and they are in my troops' choice. So the biggest idea was overwhelming firepower right from the beginning. Uh, Galvorbach can hold their own against infantry, but so can veterans. Uh, so I brought them with machine killers. I gave them melt again so that whatever they looked at was going to die, provided that it had an armor. Um, the biggest issue I have, therefore, is point control. So with the, with, the, with the serrated sunless that I ran for Nova, a huge objective was getting as many people off of other points as I could so that veterans and my one little tactical squad could actually hold some stuff. Nice. Let's so, talk about the tactical squad. The point list is based on the 20-man tactical squad. 
How well did they do? The tactical squad did pretty good. They were mostly used as a stopgap measure. Um, because they ride in a Storm Eagle, we're looking at roughly all things going well, a turn three charge at the earliest. So by then, I have a pretty good idea of where I might need to send some extra firepower to to keep the list in the game. Um, and supported with a Chaplain and a Praetor, giving them hatred, giving them a little bit of psychic oomph, they did pretty well. They swept over most of the things that they charged. Um, in the last game, I popped open the Storm Eagle and sent all of them charging into an Emperor's Children Phoenix squad, or Phoenix Terminator squad, with a Praetor. And... Um, you know, they say that the Emperor's children are really good in close combat, but the tacticals couldn't tell. So, uh, when we played the doubles, I was able to soak up a lot of the heavy firepower. How did you do during the escalation when you didn't have that back? How did you deal? How did you deal with all the enemy air power? Uh, surprisingly, the Storm Eagle did pretty good work uh, against enemy fi- uh, against enemy planes. Over the course of the campaign, it shot down a lightning, another storm eagle, and a fire raptor. Um, the latter two belonging to a, my raven guard opponent, which was really cool. They kind of did a, a lot of maneuvering, a lot of shifting and power of the machine spiriting to, to keep the skies clear. So y'all played X-Wing? Yeah, yeah. For a little while we were playing X-Wing while we were playing Warhammer. Nice. Nothing wrong with that. Um, Primarchs. Um... Obviously, you didn't bring Lorgar. Um, no, I, I didn't bring Lorgar because I wanted to win games. Well, we did. We did play against a couple Primarchs during the double. That yes. was interesting. We faced uh, Lehman Russ in our first game, and we faced Ferris Manus in our second, and uh, or sorry, not our second, our third. And both of our tactics that time boiled down to baiting out the Primarchs and then stranding them across the board. Uh, uh, the first one. Lehman Russ rode in a Spartan with his Terminator posse, and I baited them out with a uh, a Dreadclaw full of Galvorbach that our opponent just couldn't resist charging with with his whole force, uh, essentially. And then Robbie swooped in with a lightning and blew up the Spartan and left the King of Wolves over there in the corner to play with nobody uh, for the rest of the game, which was nice. He uh, was really kept first off chopped up. Stephen he flawlessly executed that game plan. He out of nowhere, he's like, "Hey, Robbie, is someone trying to call you?" Or t- he said something to make me look at my phone, and then he had sit because we're on the opposite side of the table, and he co- and he texts me the battle plan of how he was going to bait Lehman Russ out and how I was supposed to strand him, and then we're going to just revert and play on the other three corners of the table. It totally nullified Russ and his big old Terminator squad. And the guy just looked like a you know he had his thumb up his butt and he was pretty pissed when he found out that we had just played him. Yeah, he was a little less than pleased. Um, it was a good sport about the whole thing, which was nice. But it was it was really, uh, really, really cool to see Lehman Russ come out, tear through the Galvorbach, and then look around and realize that he had nothing to do for the rest of the game. Yeah. He ought to know better. All right, so. What would you drop in the future? If you if there is a unit you think about dropping, what would you replace it with? Uh, well, in the 1750 version of this list, I take a special support squad with Volkite chargers and close combat weapons. They hop out of a Dreadclaw, they Volkite some stuff, and then they charge in. Um, and on paper, that looks like a pretty good idea. And once the dice start rolling, 
uh, Volkite Chargers just don't have the punch necessary to deal with Legion, um, and they definitely don't have the punch necessary to deal with Mechanicum. Mortals they can handle pretty easily, um, but anything wearing power armor, anything T4 and above, they, they just really fall flat against. Um, so I think in the future I'm going to keep those guys out and instead bring in the classic uh, Dreadnoughts. Everybody knows how much I love Dreadnoughts. I have six or seven of them sitting in a case right now. Uh, and I think I'll bring the big daddy of them all since it's a drop list. you got to bring a, a Leviathan. Nice. So what was your favorite moment playing this list other than Stranding Rush? Which... Um, I would have to say that it was it's a, a cumulative moments, and it's just watching the Gal Vorbach tear through stuff. I think everybody that I've played here in Richmond knows how to handle them by now, and if they don't just shoot them off the table, they give them a very wide berth. Um, but I think at Nova, not a lot of people had played Word Bearers, and if they had, they hadn't gotten enough experience with Gal Vorbach to know to avoid them. So it was really awesome to watch my favorite unit just roll over unit after unit after unit. In my second game with Raven Guard, one Gal Vorbach squad swept three different tactical units. Nice. How did it do with Albear? Uh, the Gal Vorbach didn't actually get to fight the legendary Albear. What? Uh, yeah, the, they weren't in that list, the thousand point list. Uh, <sighs> that was just a tactical squad with a chaplain. And uh, he chopped the Albear up and made a coat out of him. Nice. So, um, you know, because I'm I'm actually going to start getting into word bearers myself now that I've sipped the real heresy Kool-Aid. I keep looking at Burning Lore. You know, is it worth it? You know, because if you got three, sec- was it 20 points per? They are 30 points per independent character. Oh, gosh. So that's yeah. 60 points for two characters. Is it worth it? It really depends on which powers you roll, I find. Uh, telepathy and Biomancy are really... Uh, versatile disciplines. You can really get a, a lot out of them that benefits either the character individually or the squad that he's attached to. Um, I don't know if going ham and putting Burning Lore on every single character is a good idea, but it almost is always worth it to put it on at least two. Um, right. In the Thousand Point game, I rolled up Invisibility and Endurance, and that really kept me in the game because half of my list got blown off the table as soon as it came on. So it was really convenient to have those two tactical squads buffed up with both Invisibility, Eternal Warrior, and a 4-up Fiona Pain, and they just they just weren't going anywhere. Absolutely. Now, sure. do you, do you always run a chaplain? Because I know there's a certain right yes. of war where you have to. Do you um, well, still it's just, want... It's not a right of war rule. It's a legion rule. that It's called Charismatic Command. Uh, or bearers oh, have what? to take an additional HQ choice, and it has to be either a chaplain or it has to be a vanilla centurion. Um, so we do have at least a fifty-point HQ tax. Oh well, but at least it's a it's a chaplain and not a champion. Yeah. And with chaplains being easily the best centurion choice in the game, go with chaplain always. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Stephen, you're going to post your list on the Facebook page, right? Yes. Awesome. And uh, one question I had that I feel is really important for us. Um, theme. What was the theme of the list? Um, I was hot off of reading Betrayer when I wrote this list. And as everybody knows, I love Betrayer. Uh, it focuses on 
what's left of the Serrated Sun, and their whole tactics was drop assaults. So I really wanted to write something that put that in there and also made extensive use of Galvorbach. So uh, the theme was essentially a company of monsters coming out of the sky, overrunning positions, and then a Storm Eagle with command elements flying in next to mop up. Outstanding. Well, guys, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Uh, We'll be back with uh, closing statements next. Okay, so that was the first episode of Remembrancer's Retreat. Um, Really good episode. Great episode, yeah. The Malkador section, I learned a bunch about the Malkador that uh, I knew, but you kind of forget when you don't read it every day, you know? Right, right. Um, The events section, looking forward to the January game. Yep, got to get those uh, Shadow Swords painted up, and uh, I might get some work done on your knights for you. We'll see, <laughs> they're gonna look awesome. Yeah, bring the super heavies, bring the uh, mortals. It's gonna be a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll be back also with more on Autech more, uh, and um, that section there, and with another list review at the uh, next episode. You got anything else, Jesse? No, that's I'm good. All right. Check us out on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash Remembrancers Retreat. No apostrophe after the S. We try to put out podcasts every other week. And uh, we look forward to uh, hearing your input, guys. Feel free to leave us a comment on the Facebook page. Tell us what you want to hear or what you can, uh, any ideas you have. Um, All right. If you're in the Mid-Atlantic area, check out the Richmond 30K Facebook group. We're always interested in yep. having more players come in and join us. Plenty of events and plenty of cool people who are in the hobby, too. So uh, y'all have a good weekend, and uh, we'll see you later. Thank you.